Imagine being able to ask any question about church issues and practices at any time. Imagine getting a response in 24 hours or less. Imagine a team led by Tom Rayner answering your questions. It's like having your own church consultant on staff, and it's only $14.97 per month. That's only 49 cents per day, and there's no long-term commitment. You can try it today at churchanswers.com slash subscribe. You'll also get a free virtual staff meeting led by Tom Rayner every single month. Again, join us at churchanswers.com slash subscribe. Got church questions? Get church answers. Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, what's up? Welcome to another EST. My name is Josh, and uh, my good friends Micah and Sam are, they're actually at school right now. One's in doctoral classes at Southeastern Seminary, and the other one is teaching uh, some courses at Southern Seminary. So that leaves me the uneducated one here, just kind of talking with some friends and such. And I am very excited to have on the show for you to listen to Dr. Noe garcia how are you today, Noe? No, I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Good. I'm so glad that you uh, took a little time to jump on the show. We had a little bit of a time zone difference. So Arizona, I guess, you're in Phoenix, correct? That's right. And I'm assuming, or I guess we're we're discovering that Arizona, y- y'all do the time change a little differently. Not the same as <laughs> Yeah. No, we never change time. We never change. This is genius, and it should happen. You, y'all are doing it right, and uh, the rest of us should come <laughs> follow right. along with you. But, but we did get you on the show. So glad that you are. This is episode 84 of EST, the podcast for established church leaders by established church leaders. Um, one of the things that I really enjoy about this show, even though you know I'm part of it, is that we're actual practitioners. All of us have pastored or are pastoring currently. We're not just authors or professors or something like that. We're actually in the church doing the church thing. That's what you got. What you're doing, uh, Noe. Tell me a little bit about the church you lead, church you're at, and um, you know just kind of what makes it unique. Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I um, came in about two years ago at the age of 32 um, to take over an established church. Uh, the church is 75 years old, um, so it was um, an established church, also an unfortunately a declining church in need of church revitalization. Um, when I got here, I didn't really understand fully what that meant. I was a first-time pastor. I was a college pastor before I got here. Um, so I've been here two years now. In fact, last week just had my two-year anniversary. So there's okay. been, yeah, my goodness, there's been a lot of learning curves. Uh, I've had a lot of, made a lot of poor decisions. I've uh, learned a lot, <laughs> grown a lot. Um, came in here thinking I was going to change the world and I was going to change the church, not realizing the church changed me. Um, cool. So it's been, uh, yeah, a lot going on. What, what? You said it was in a church in decline. Um, tell us a little bit about what that looked like. A lot of our listeners, I'm sure, have taken churches similarly. Or um, the reality is, and this is something you probably discovered yourself, even stepping into a fantastic 
potential laden uh, opportunity as you did, most new pastors, first time pastors are going to take churches that are in decline or struggling. And so that's just something you kind of got to accept. Well, tell us a little bit more about North Phoenix and sort of the situation you found it. Absolutely. Uh, the church at its highest point was about 20,000 members. Um, it was, it's right centrally located in Phoenix. I mean, it's in the middle of everything. Who's who used to attend here. Um, after Phoenix began to expand, other churches began to plant and populate. Uh, the church then changed leadership, um, went from a strong leader, um, strong on evangelism, to a leader who's uh, more focused on discipleship. Um, in my opinion, the two should never be divorced, uh, but it was what it was. Uh, the church went to a strong decline. And so I ended up getting it 2016. Uh, the church, I believe, was averaging about 900 to 1,000. Um, now, some would say that doesn't sound like a, a church in decline. That sounds like a great church. I'd love to have a church of 900 and 1,000. <laughs> um, but the reality is it, was, it is what it was. And, um, you know, I didn't realize when I, I got here there were a lot of good-hearted, godly people uh, who wanted to grow, who wanted to reach the city. Um, the the why we were here really unified us. We knew we were here to reach the city for Jesus Christ and to make disciples. The why unified us. Uh, we didn't really, I didn't really feel like we became divided until the how was implemented. Um, mm. Everybody had their own idea of how this was supposed to look when I arrived here. And so uh, very quickly I realized when I began to make decisions on how we were going to move forward and accomplish the Great Commission, uh, that's when life got very hard. Wow. Um, you, I kind of... So um, to, you know, I, was, I mean, to kind of comment on what you're talking about there is, you're right, a lot of people would look at a church running nine to a thousand and say, man, that'd be fantastic, I'd love to be a part of that, but... You know, large ships that are damaged can sink really fast. And that's right. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, you know, you have to keep a certain level of income in order to just keep the buildings open. There's a, you know, there's upkeep, there's staffing, there's decisions like that. And what I've seen, and you could probably agree to this as well, Noe, is that there's like this death spiral. If, if you start to lose people, you have to lay off a staff person. That staff person had a lot of relationships. You lose more people, ministries suffer, and it just keeps going and it eats itself very yep. quickly. Whereas a smaller church has lower overhead and um, you can maybe turn that thing around a little bit quicker. So it's not, it's not always the same to just say, wow, this is something I want to go take a part of. But um, that's right. Tell us, uh, you know, explain. I'm real curious about this myself as I implement strategies here in Saxe. What do you mean? What's the difference there between the why and the how? What were some of those hows that you were trying to implement that? And would you do them differently, you know, as we're kind of considering that in our own settings? Right. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, it was a some churches have scratches. Some churches have wounds. Uh, I came in. This church had a wound and the church was bleeding out very quickly. They were literally losing 50 to 70 people. It seemed like month monthly. Um, the decline was strong and very quickly, and the church hadn't met budget in 15, 20 years. Um, now, I love this church. It's the bride of Christ, and so I don't want to sound like I'm bashing it, but it was just a reality. No. You know, that's, 
That's one of the, um, you build a sense of urgency in the church by giving the reality of where the church is at. And I had to do that. And when you do that, it's like calling the baby ugly, right? The new guy comes right, in yeah. here and you're now called the baby ugly and it offends a lot of people. Uh, while at the same time, it sobers up a lot of people. And so, um, you know, our budget was just over $3 million. Um, $1.6 million went to our staffing. And there was a huge problem with that. Um, so part of what I had to do uh, was come in here and look at the organization, uh, look at the staff, and um, I knew that if we were going to move forward, I had to figure out who was on board, um, who was on the vision, who was going to want to accomplish this vision, who wasn't going to want to do this. And so I ended up having to let go a lot of people, um, which ultimately – uh, what I tell my staff now is every time you let somebody go, whether it's in a volunteer position or it's a staff position, everybody's connected to somebody. And so there's right. always a ripple effect. And so just be ready for it. In fact, we have what I call the seven A's of leadership um, that helps us with our decision making. I, I wrote this when I was writing my dissertation that help us to know how to better make decisions um, it never changes the why, but it'll often change our how we make these decisions. So I let staff go. caused me a lot of pain. Uh, what I would have done differently there is probably would have uh, waited a bit longer to build some credibility before um, letting some staff go that have been here for 15, 20 years. Um, ultimately, uh, you know, we hired a new staff in with the same DNA um, that I have, same vision, same heart. Um, we have grown by – these numbers just came out yesterday, actually, because we celebrated my two-year um, anniversary here, and they threw a surprise party for me last night. So a lot of these numbers are fresh on my mind as they shared them last night, but we've grown by 40% in two years. Um, wow. That's which cool. you know, It's been really neat. Uh, the church was averaging about 15 salvations a year. Uh, we've seen 400 in two years. Um, so that's been really cool, and a lot. Of, the great thing is a lot of these people getting saved are staying and going through our growth track and discipleship track. Um, so there's been a lot of great things. Um, there's been times where uh, godly people have done ungodly things, as, as we all experience <laughs> that. Um, yeah. You know, have dealt with some of the, uh, the racist anonymous letters, unfortunately, um, have... Dealt with some of the were those youthfulness. directed at you or just the new people coming? Yeah, in? Uh, they were directed at me. Uh, directed at me because you're um, you're Hispanic, correct? I'm Hispanic. I am. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it was just anonymous letters put in offering envelopes that um, simply said, "This is not Mexico," um, and they would send it again, mm-hmm. telling me it's not Mexico, and and that I can start a church for me and my minority friends if I wanted to. The church went from ninety percent Caucasian. Um, to now sixty forty, um, in oh, just great. short and two Good. years, the staff went from uh, me being the only minority, uh, honestly, apart from the janitor, and that's that's sounds funny, but it really is. It's a sad reality. Um, that's a sad reality now, in a lot of places. You know, you go to some churches where they're in a city that is predominantly something other than Caucasian, and the only staff member who is not Caucasian is often the custodian or something like that's that. Right. That's right. That's a sad that's a sad thing that should sober us up. If you just look at your own staff page. And that's right. as a side note here, you know, we're talking about Phoenix, so it's not a matter of just 
diversity for diversity's sake. It's a matter of reflecting your community and getting the gospel That's out right. to where your community is. So you now more, how does that Amen. line up, the 60-40 type of thing line up to the Phoenix area? Gosh, it's it's right on track. I mean, it's it's incredible cool. what, what God is. Yeah, yeah it, it's incredible what God has done. Part of that is a lot of times when you go into a church, um, the leadership of the church is very, very telling um, of the direction of the church, in my opinion. Um, it gives people a quick understanding of, of sometimes where they fit in the church and where they're allowed to go in the church. Um, many times, if we're not careful, and this goes both ways, by the way, uh, we can easily create the culture of tokenism if we're not careful. Um, mm. And so what we try to do is have the heart where everyone who walks through the doors has an equal opportunity, equal playing field. Um, so our staff is now reflects the community, uh, which now reflects our church. And so it's a um, it's been it's been a huge, very quick, uh, I guess, cultural change. It's what I wrote my dissertation on: church revitalization and cultural change. Um, again, it's come with a lot of pain. I, I had emotional and mental breakdown. My uh, about mm. thirteen months thirteen months into this. Um, I went through a season of about six to seven months of depression, um, going from, I wasn't prepared for this, going from being a college pastor where you feel like you're the golden boy, you can do no wrong, to going to being the senior pastor who feel like you can do no right. Um, <laughs> I, wa- I, I wanted everybody to like me. I don't like not sure. being liked, and um, I didn't know how to take it. I took everything personal. Every time somebody left the church, even when I didn't I, it was probably best for them to leave the church. It still felt like rejection, and it still hurt. Um, and so the Lord has really um, worked in me and through me. Uh, I got here and saw the church as a revitalization project, and I treated it as a project. Um, God has shifted my heart now to where I, I now see it as the bride of Christ, and I'm much more gentle with her than I was before. I was a bit too aggressive when I got here, thinking I wanted to change the world overnight and not understanding the people I was harming. Um, so that's mm. shifted after time. That's fantastic. Hey, let's back up just a little bit here. I'm sure those who are listening, most of them are either the leaders of established churches or they themselves are about to be the leaders of established churches. And you've dropped a few things in here I'd really love to hear more about for personal reasons. But your seven A's of leadership, can you you know rattle those off real quick? What are those? Yeah, absolutely. So... Uh, we have Staff Chapel every Wednesday, and the purpose of Staff Chapel is just to stop. I have a worship guy lead us in worship, and I always give, whether it's a devotional or some leadership tools. Uh, in this particular time, I thought, I'm just going to teach my staff what I'm learning myself as a leader and what will save them a lot of pain that I've endured myself because I did not do this. And so I put this in my dissertation when talking about cultural change revitalization, but I said that the 7A, and some of this is kind of cheesy, so just bear with me. Sometimes you got to force right. an A in there to make it work. Um, right, the right. seven a- A's of leadership, and really this is all about um, anticipatory leadership. This is kind of what I call it, anticipatory leadership. You want to anticipate um, the consequences of every church decision, especially the huge ones. The first mm-hmm. one, it starts with the foundation of asking God for the vision. You have to ask God, once God has given you the vision, you cannot coward out and cop out of not making that decision that God has called you to make. That is the foundation for everything. There is a Nehemiah chapter 1, 
burden and conviction instilled of, in the heart of man or woman that when God places it in there, the only choice you have, you have two choices. One is to be obedient or the other is to be disobedient. So I tell our mm-hmm. staff, start with number one, ask God for the vision. What does he want you to do? Once you've received that, and I don't mean this this uh, this mystical you know voice from heaven. That's not what I mean. I think we understand what I'm saying. A very clear direction yeah. and con- conviction right. from God. So I want to be clear on that. Um, then the second one that I tell them to is after you've asked God for the vision, uh, then you must assess the challenges. All right, God, you want me to start a second campus. All right. Um, what are they going to be the challenges, which was something I had to come through starting a second campus? What's going to be the challenges? So I assessed the challenges. I wrote them all down. Here's what I think I'm going to run into. And so I asked around from people that have been here, some of my executive leaders that have been here for a long time. Hey, if I make this decision, you've been here for 20, 30 years. What are the potential consequences? Once I wrote down the potential consequences, uh, most of these consequences – um, come with names attached to them. And so you then anticipate, the, the third A um, is anticipate the resistance. Um, what is going to be the resistance? Who is going to resist? And, and normally these have names attached to them, whether it's a guy who's been here for 30 years or it's a guy who's a big tither um, and is a big influencer in the church. And, and hear me clearly, um, I don't fear big tithers. I don't stray from the vision and word of God because someone tithes. I'm afraid to offend them. I really don't. Um, so what I had to do is after I anticipated the resistance, uh, the next A, I call it attack the influencers. Now, that word attack, I know, comes off a bit aggressive. <laughs> um, and sometimes take it feels out. that way, right? You, you just take them mm-hmm. out. Uh, no, what I did is I, I made a list of influencers in our church. Uh, so, for example, um, one of the things that I did was there's a list of 10 influencers that I had. Each of these influencers impacted about 200 people. So, hmm. um, as you can imagine, uh, I was trying to knock out, you know, at this point, we were about 2,000 people in our church, 1,800, 1,700. So, what I was trying to do is, is really reach to 2,000 by meeting with 10 because um, I knew that they had such an, a circle and influence that they can give me a lot of credibility. I didn't have time to meet with 2,000. I had time to meet with 10. I took the 10 out, which is attack the influencers, and I sat down, and, and every influencer, especially the established ones in the church, every man, in my opinion, every woman, they want to be heard. That's one thing I've learned early on. Before I make big decisions, get some buy-in. Uh, it may not change the decision but it may change how you make the decision. It'll give you much more wisdom. I met with these 10 different people, attacked the influencers, and I began to share my heart and say, I really feel like God is calling me to go this direction. And I, I asked them for advice. I asked them for wisdom. I asked them for their thoughts. Um, some loved it and were on board. Some, couldn't. we couldn't see eye to eye. And I just simply asked them, will you trust me as your pastor? I've sought the face of God I firmly believe if I don't do that, I'm, I'm going to be disobedient. Will you trust me and support me? I was 10 for 10. Um, oh, wow. They all came away saying, absolutely. Even the ones who couldn't see it said, absolutely. I trust you're walking with God. I don't see it. I don't understand it. But you, I'm in your corner. Um, now, that was now, huge did for me. you ask them to be public with that sort of support? Did you say, would you huh? say something? Would you... You know, hundred percent, hundred percent. 
Yeah, I, I left no secret. I mean, I just said, hey, listen, here's what I need from you. Uh, when you go up in front of your Bible study of 100 or 50, or when you go on lunches, I need you speaking positively about the direction we're going. I don't need you to play the fence of saying, ah, I don't know why pastor is doing that. We'll see how it goes. I said, you're an influencer. I need you to be bought in. I need them to know that you're bought in because they'll follow your lead better than they'll follow mine. They trust you. They don't trust me yet. Um, and they all did that. Some did it publicly in front of me during deacon meetings. Um, some, when we made a church vote, some, uh, one man who's been here for 40 years, he gave the second motion. He stood up in the pulpit. He's a judge. And uh, he got up, and I knew when he stood up, I didn't know he was going to do it, but when he gave the second motion, I thought I just bought myself 500 more votes with that guy doing that for me. So it was huge. Um, The next day, um, you address the issues. You attack the influencers, then you begin to address the issues um, of the church. You go ahead and start taking care of business um, beforehand before you make the big decision. And this what this normally looks like um, is you begin to meet with lay people who um, are maybe in the church causing dissension, um, in the church maybe speaking against you or your vision, um, or whatever church, whatever there is. If there's staff members um, that when you're going to move forward that you know aren't on board, you begin to do the hard things and take care of those things, which is addressing the issues is never fun. That's one of the most difficult parts. Attacking the influencers is more sitting over a coffee, let me share my vision. Um, addressing the, the issues is more of we're going to have to make some hard decisions and get our hands dirty. Um, this is normally when people tap out of the vision. This is normally when t- people tap out of the decision-making process to say, if I address the issues, that's going to cause me a lot of pain. This can go really bad. Therefore, I'm just not going to do it. Um, this is where you got to be prayed up and filled with courage and filled with humility as well. There has to be a humble approach to this and a godly approach. Um, so what that looked like for me um, was letting some lay people go from their positions and letting staff members go from their positions as well uh, when it came to certain church decisions. Um, and then apply the vision. Here we go. We've taken care of the rest of the A's. We've done the groundwork. We've done behind the, behind the scenes. Now I know when I launch this campus or make any other big church-wide decision, um, We've done our homework. We've sifted through. By the time we get to apply the vision, honestly, Josh, after we've gone through all of these A's, it's caused us to slow down, which I've normally learned. When I make decisions quickly and I don't slow down, often I do things poorly. And so this causes me to slow down, to be wise, to be prayerful, to be diligent, to do my homework, to lay the groundwork. By this time, when you apply the vision, uh, it's not going to be perfect but at least you've already anticipated some potholes along the way. You're prepared for them. You're ready for them, or you've already handled them. Um, then here's what I do. At this point in time, after applying the vision, you're always going to have some naysayers, especially um, as a new young pastor who's never pastored before. Uh, some people, you can get criticized for this, but um, I always, the last A, um, hallelujah, you celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you, you have to celebrate. My goodness, you have to celebrate in front of a church, especially a, a what was once a dying, declining church. Um, you have to celebrate what God is doing. The way we celebrate a lot of the times is during the church service. 
Here's what I do. It's normally during the offering time. I will say, and this, by the way, has raised our offering. During the offering monthly, we'll stop during the offering and say, Church, I want to stop and thank you. We have to celebrate. Because of your giving, because of your buy-in, because of your commitment, because of your faithfulness, listen to what God has done, and we'll share wins before the entire church. What normally happens is the church begins to clap. They begin to celebrate. And what it does is the naysayers who were speaking against the vision, uh, the naysayers who weren't on board, um, they can still be naysayers, but they cannot, um, they cannot speak against or deny what God is doing in the church. Um, now, this, this, you have to be very careful. You don't want to use God's name in vain in order to really celebrate yourself. And, mm-hmm. so, um, and so we don't do that. We really do try to keep God central and help our people understand, listen, it's okay to give the church away and give it back to God. It's okay yeah. to allow God to do things in the church that we normally wouldn't have dreamed up ourselves. It's okay to take the Holy Spirit out of the box and say, Holy Spirit, do whatever you want to do in this church. It's okay not to know where God has taken us and to move and walk by faith. And so we really try to celebrate those, man. We try to celebrate those uh, monthly, and we celebrate people. It's not always about, look what Pastor Noe has done. No, we celebrate lay leaders in our church. Um, We celebrate staffers. We celebrate the entire congregation um, quite often, and that has changed the entire morale of our church. I like that. um, One of the the practices we do here at Saxe's Church is I will do that— Right before I preach, I'll just say something, um, you know, hey, I wanted to tell y'all about so-and-so did this. And sometimes it's just real small things or it's big things. It's the kind of the behind-the-scenes stuff. And I'll always finish it the same way. And it's actually in kind of influenced the language of our church. So I'll say, That's right. you know, um, Amy is a hero. Be like Amy. And so mm. I always use those that phrase, you know, Noe is a hero. Be like Noe. After I tell the story real quick, sum it up. And so um, I've actually caught a few people a couple times or seen some posts out there about um, applying that hero language. because uh, I, just, I love you know, it. All communities need a hero. They, they all have their heroes. And so if you don't give them heroes, what I find a lot of times is they make us the heroes and we're that's horrible right. heroes. We're you know we're we're not good at this <laughs> at all. So make that, and also not only give them heroes, but show them what makes a hero. The person who's serving in the nursery, the the person mm. you know, the the third grader who brought their whole class just because they got on fire. You know, that's a hero. Be like that hero. So I love that. I love that. I, also I may steal really that man. Do it. I appreciate what you said <laughs> there because here's something different. You said. It caused me to slow down, to be diligent. And I think that's mm. a great point for leaders of established churches to realize. And here's what I mean by that. You're, you celebrated your two-year wherein you have diversified the staff, launched a second campus, grown by 40%, had 400, uh, you know, salvations. Or, yeah, right? 400 salvations. Yeah. This is fantastic decisions and growth and movement however it was done on purpose and what i find a lot of times with established church leaders there's this um you know i don't want to go too fast they say that i don't want to go too fast and what i really find if you scratch just right below the surfaces 
they ain't doing anything. And you just, and they're using <laughs> wisdom to justify fear. And yes. the reality is when you're moving through a strategy like this, and we made a lot of changes here as well, and people say, well, you moved so fast. And I always say, none of the movements we did were just for the sake of movement. We just needed That's to right. make changes, and so we made the changes. And so I love this. This at least gives you approach. It's just like when I'm preaching and I say, look, Waiting on God is not passive waiting. It's active waiting. You're supposed to be mm. doing something as you're leading. So the, I, I hope that for our listeners out there, they would hear a strategy like this. And it's not so it's not a we're not talking about a church leadership paradigm here. We're not talking about, you know, replacing something like uh, purpose driven or, or something like those things are great. This is talking about your everyday decisions that you have to make working through. That's right. An actual you know, active leadership, which I think is so good instead of just saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I firmly believe, you know, elder led would be one of those that, you know, I firm, I talk to guests, I firmly believe in elder led. We should be elder led and we're going to do it one day. And I'm like, how long have you pastored the church? Eight years. We're going to do it one day. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't think you are. <laughs> I really yeah, that's right. That's right. Make any sort of changes. So um, let's, uh, we've got, oh, I don't know, two minutes. So, Tell me a little bit, um, how did you handle the anonymous racist letter? What, what, was, what was your approach? Maybe it wasn't a good approach, but how did you handle mm. that, and what did you learn from it? Uh, man, I didn't handle it well, Josh. I'm, I'm ashamed to admit, admit um, I became bitter. I became hurt. Um, there were some tears that were shed. I was angry. I felt like I was the wrong skin color. Um, and I was, I was frustrated sometimes if I'm being honest with being the wrong skin color. I know it sounds really stupid and really silly, but, um, but I was just frustrated. I was bitter and I hate to admit this, but I became the guy who, in some of my sermons, I was, I just seemed angry. I seemed, Mm. I was preaching from, I was preaching out of wounds and out of bitterness and, it wasn't healthy. I don't know how we kept growing as a church. God was good, but... (laughs) But man, I had to repent before our church and say I was sorry to him um, about 15 months wow. into it and say, church, I'm sorry. I've been angry with you and I didn't even know it. And um, that was very freeing to me. I did. I stood in front of the, the congregation, um, which is a very humbling the, moment. about the letter? No, I didn't. I wanted to protect the mm-hmm. congregation, um, mm-hmm. so I didn't tell them. I was, I was too afraid at that moment of our church having some remnants of what people would say being a all Caucasian racist church in the past. I was too afraid to to let them know, yes, you're right, it still exists here, um, while we were becoming very diverse. And so I wanted to protect the bride. Um, I felt like if I would have told them, it would have been more about me and, and feeling sorry for me versus protecting her and so the bride. And so I, I didn't. Um, I had to... I had to confess it before the Lord. I had to receive it and know that this was part of leadership. Uh, I also had to put this into perspective, uh, knowing that some of my African brothers and sisters in Christ, African-American, who have walked through this um, in their lives and still stayed faithful and didn't get bitter, um, who Mm -hmm. many of those are my close friends, that's what gave me strength to say, you know what, I, I, I need to, in a spiritual sense, people don't like this phrase, but I need in a spiritual sense, press into God and don't wear this pain and don't show it and just know that for some reason God has allowed me to experience this 
and um, learn how to love the sheep that are biting me, even when it's ugly, ugly yeah. bites. Sheep bite. Sheep, sheep bite. bite, and it hurts. Do you, man? Uh, thanks so much for being on the show today. the The odd thing is, you know, I had this opportunity to go out and talk to somebody different because, like Sam and Micah, they're busy right now, and and um, you were one of the top uh, people that I wanted to talk to, which is so. Hearing your story, for those who are listening to us, I'm not, Noe and I aren't like best buds. We're not texting all the time or anything like that. And in fact, this is the longest conversation we've ever had. But <laughs> for the last two years, I, I, I promise, I'm not just saying this, Noe, you've been sort of a role model, sort of a hero of somebody that I've looked up to. I know a lot of other guys think the same way. We've been um, encouraged by what you're doing. And I think that says a lot about your leadership. It also says a lot about when and you do the same thing i'm sure there's pastors you look up to and sometimes we look at from across the interwebs and we look at twitter right. and we look at social media and we think man everything's so awesome over there you know and, mm. and things are cool and look at the growth and that that you know what's what's on the public face is not fake it's just not all of it and so that's right that's right you know, something that people really need to kind of pay attention to knowing if they want to connect with you more uh, find out a little bit more, hear your story, those sort of things. Where's what's a good way to connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, my email is noeg at nphx dot org. Um, that's a great way. And uh, I mean, my Are cell you on phone media six. At all? I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram. I don't. I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I'm back on Facebook. Okay. And so, um, yeah, you can connect with me on there as well. And um, so this uh, this stuff this leadership is that coming is that in a book or do you have that printed somewhere or do you have it kind of spelled out a little bit more yeah so actually it's, it's i just graduated from southern um two weeks ago and with my uh doctorate in ministry and church revitalization and cultural change and so i'm making this dissertation uh into a book you know the seven a's of leadership and actually just got a phone call randomly uh, last week um from a an agent to want to Turn this into a book, so it looks like it's going to happen. Nice. I like it. Well, I'd love to read it myself, and uh, I look forward to uh, picking up a copy and, and checking all that stuff out. So thanks again so much for joining the show, and those of you who are listening every week, make sure that you rate and review us on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, all those sort of things. That really helps out the show. And um, be looking for the EST conference coming up October 4th in Dallas. Our uh, keynote speaker, Dr. Tom Rayner, We'll be there. Lunch is included. Bring your whole team. There's discounts for bringing the entire team. You can find more information at estconf.com, E-S-T-C-O-N-F.com. We'd love to see you here in Dallas for the EST Conference. I'll check you next week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Support for EST is sponsored by Pastor Talk by Lifeway. Join host Marty Dern as he interviews pastors, professors, authors, and other ministry practitioners. Pastor Talk gives you tools and encouragement to shepherd your flock well. Subscribe to Pastor Talk in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher or listen online at lifewaypastors.com.